Everyone, it is good to be together with you today. As Maddie said, my name is Kent, uh, one of the staff here at the church. Real excited to be closing out this series that we've been in that we've called Sent. As you can see from that video, this series is all about the mission of God. That we've been teaching uh, a little bit about the, the mission of God, but it's been a little while, right? Like, I don't know if you can remember back this far, but, but three whole weeks ago, we had our last teaching in, in this series. And so it's been a while. But if you can remember, Brian Wiles got up here and he sort of kicked things off and reminded us that, that when we were in this series and when we talk about this reality of being sent, that when we talk about the mission of God, that we're not just talking about sending people out to other countries to do foreign missions. We're not just talking about becoming pastors, becoming staff, and all that stuff, even though it's good. We're talking about the reality that all of us are invited to get into the game. That, that however it looks for you, whether it's in your job, whether you know, it's, it's at school, in your family, whatever, all of us are invited to join into the mission of God. And so we talked about that in a week one. But then we took some weeks off, right? <laughs> like it, it's been a little while since we've had a teaching. Um, but obviously, uh, just because we hadn't been teaching, this doesn't mean that we haven't been still exemplifying the mission of God. As Brian already shared, uh, a couple weeks ago, we got to send out our, our church plant to Athens, Ohio, and we got to sort of look into these people's lives that have this unique call to go and, and start a church on a whole new campus in our, in our network. And so that was really cool. And that same day, we got to send out a new pastor for that church plant. My good friend, Joe Callagher, we got to ordain him and send him out to be their pastor. And so that was amazing. And then last week, we got to baptize 12 people and sort of watch them stand up in front of everybody and be sent by kind of just going public in their faith. And then at the end of the service, even, we saw a whole like huge group of seniors come up and, and stand up in front of our church and say, hey, you know, we, we feel like we've learned the gospel in this church and now we're ready to go and start jobs all around uh, the state and maybe even the country. And, and we're hoping that they're going to go and leverage their lives for the gospel wherever they're going. So that was a lot, but, but we've taken some weeks off, right? But that doesn't mean that, that we haven't still been sent, right? That we've been modeling uh, what living missionally really looks like as a church. And I don't know about you, but for me, this has been incredibly refreshing. Like, like there's something about just like looking at what God is doing, hearing stories of what God is actually doing in, in people's lives that makes me just like come alive inside. I'm like, this is exactly what I want to be a part of. And I think if we're being like completely honest, that inside each and every one of us is, is some type of longing for mission, right? You zoom out and you look at our, our culture right now, you look at all the different, uh, you know, justice campaigns and all the different fundraising and all the different, you know, uh, just things that are, that are happening that you can get involved in in our world. It's just evident that everybody wants to be a part of some kind of mission. We want to better people's lives. We want to have better communities. We all want to be a part of something, well, the good news is that in the church that, that, that we're here, and the good news is that what we believe is that God is all about this, that, that when we open up the pages of Scripture and we, we see God described, that, that our God is, is a missional God, that he doesn't look down at the world and look at the brokenness in our lives and look at the brokenness everywhere and stay uninvolved, that, that he rolls up his sleeves and God gets involved. And beyond that, he's made us in his, his very image and, and invites us to get involved too. And when we do, because we're made in his image, something inside just comes alive in us, right? Something inside is like, man, I, I think this is, this is what it's all about, right? And, and, and so we're going to talk about that reality today because I believe that each and every one of us was made for the mission of God. In fact, if you don't remember anything else I say, remember that because it's the big idea today that, that you were made for the mission of God. 
I truly believe that. And, and as I say that, I don't know sort of where it lands with you. I know uh, many of us, like, you know, we're open to talking about God in general. Lots of people are open to talking about, you know, sort of uh, the love of God or, or whatever. But when mission of God comes up, it's a little bit more, like, difficult, right? It evokes other thoughts. Like, maybe you've had experiences in your past where you've seen the mission of God done kind of in weird ways or, or whatever. We have past experiences that inform what we think of when we think of the mission of God. And so today what I want to do is I just want to unpack what it is a little bit. I just want to look at the scriptures and I want to pull out three things that will sort of inform how we actually should view the mission of God because I'm not sure we're always thinking about the right thing when we think about God's mission. And if we get involved in, in the actual mission of God, that, that I truly believe this, that, that something inside will come alive because you were made to be a part of this. And so we're going to unpack that together. I, I think it's going to be good. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and uh, meet me in Luke 10. Turn, turn on your Bibles if it's on your phone, whatever you got to do, okay? I'm going to be in, in Luke 10. And all we're going to do is we're going to just look at the mission of God in the life of his son, Jesus. We're going to watch it sort of play out as it, as it ought to in Jesus' ministry. And uh, just to give you a little context while you're turning there, uh, at this point, Jesus has, has begun his ministry. He's, he's already been doing miracles and all this stuff, and he, he sent out his 12 disciples, and they've come back. And since then, they've been walking around and, and doing some other things, and we're going to pick up right there in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, this is a pretty popular passage. You've probably heard it, for, heard it before, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We're probably familiar with it. But I still think, when, at least if you're like me, when, when we think about the ministry of Jesus, we have these misconceptions in our mind. We think that, I often think that Jesus just walked around with 12 people, just this small gang of people that walked around. But, but we see in this passage here that there was massive crowds with Jesus as he, as he walked around. And so some of them were probably like involved in his sort of mission, but others of them were probably more fringe, just kind of watching from a distance. And in this passage, Jesus looks out and he says, now's the time for you to get involved, right? He, it says that he appointed some of them, 72 of them. And you have to wonder if as he's picking out these 72 individuals, if some of them were like, are you sure? <laughs> like, are, are you sure you want to appoint me? Like, yeah, I've been following you around, but I'm just kind of standing in the back and hey, you're doing a great job. I'm all for you, Jesus. You know, like I'm a fan and everything, but I don't know like if, I'm, if I really have what it takes. And what's interesting is that if they were feeling that, Jesus, he, he doesn't come back and say, yeah, you do. You got what it takes. Yeah, I saw you standing in the back, but bro, like look at you. Come on. You got it together. Like, like you're going to be fine. Jesus doesn't say that, right? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He just says, hey, things are ready, and we don't have a lot of people. <laughs> so we, we, just, we just need more people. In fact, he takes it a step further, and he says, pray to the Lord of, of the harvest that he may send out more workers, because we're not enough, right? Just the 72 weren't going to be enough. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so I think we, we sort of hear that, and it's almost like, oh, that, that's a little bit weird, but I think it's actually really good news for us. 
Because the reality is for many of us, when we think about living out our faith, when we think about being sent out and, and living on, on mission, that we get so consumed with our own shortcomings, so consumed with like how we don't measure up that we, we never actually go, right? We wonder like, what if someone asks me a question and, and I don't have the right answer? You know, we, we wonder if, you know, if I live out my faith a little bit more and I'm a little more public in it, like what if people think I'm weird or something like that? And we get all hung up on, on our own issues, and as a result, we never get involved in what we're made for. And I, I was thinking about this, and I was reminded of the first ever mission trip that I went on as a middle school kid, and I was involved in this thing called Wildlife. If you're familiar with it, it's like the middle school version of Young Life, the youth group thing. And on this mission trip, it, it was just a local mission trip right there in my, my hometown in Bradenton, Florida. And what they asked us to do was to go door to door and knock on doors and ask people if we could cut their grass for free. And when people asked us, like, why do you want to cut my grass? We were supposed to respond to show God's love in, in a practical way, like, God loves us for free, and so we want to cut your grass for free. That, that was what we were supposed to do. And as a middle schooler, I was thinking about this, and I was just like, like this is, is really, I mean, it was kind of weird, right? <laughs> like, I was like really nervous about it, because it, it was just a strange thing, think, thing to do. And, and I think the thing I was most nervous about was that people were going to think I was like a Jehovah's Witness or something, and like slam the door in my face, or maybe somebody was going to invite me into their house. I don't know. Uh, my parents signed the permission slip, so I was there. And, uh, and, and so I, I just started doing it. And what I found was that regardless of my insecurities, regardless of the fact that I was really nervous and regardless of the fact that, that this was kind of a weird thing, that, that God used it in profound ways. That, that people, so many people were so moved just by the simple act of, of doing something for them for free, that, that it was evident to me when I would knock on doors that even though I didn't say things perfect, that, that God had been working in people's lives behind the scenes. And it was crazy. We ended up having a, a huge gospel impact uh, in our town that year. We must have mowed like hundreds of, of yards, and so many people were impacted by the gospel. Now, I share that because I think many of us, when we think about just doing ordinary things, like sharing our, our faith with, with a friend, like living out our faith in, in ordinary situa situations at work and stuff like that, that we get hung up that that we don't have it all together, that, and so we don't do it, right? We get, we get scared. What are they going to think of me? What if I say something wrong? But the reality is if, if I, as a middle school kid, can do something really weird like that, and God can use it, then God can use you right where you're at, right? That, that you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be a Christian apologist. You don't have to have all the words that, that it's not about us, that it's about what God has been doing behind the scenes, that he's been raising up a harvest, and he just needs workers. And so the first thing I want us to see about mission is that the mission of God is not about our own abilities. It's not about our own abilities. He says the harvest is plentiful. It's ready. I just need, I just need some workers. But let's dive back in. He, he keeps going. He says, go, exclamation point, go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. I think it's funny that he says, don't take a purse. It actually reminds me of whenever I'm trying to just leave my house and my wife is like, where's my purse? And I'm like, you don't need your purse. Come on, let's just get out of, out of here. And she's like, where's my coat? You don't need a coat. The good news, and I, guys, do not do that to your wives. 
Like, some of you should hold me accountable. I need to stop doing that. And the good news is Jesus is not doing that here. What Jesus is doing, he's not rushing his audience. He's actually preparing them. He says, hey, you're going you're gonna to go out and you're going to do something that, that's kind of dangerous. You're going to encounter some wolves. You're going to encounter opposition, right? And some of, some of us, when we hear that kind of stuff, we think, well, I got to get ready. Right? I, I, I got to get ready. I got, I got to get some stuff going because I got to go after these wolves. Jesus says, don't do that. Leave everything at home. And I think it's important for us to hear that because for many of us, when we imagine the darkness in the world, when we imagine all of the different oppositions that we could come up against, we think, well, I got to figure out what I can do to go on the offensive. I got to figure what, what I can do to sort of snuff out the wolves. And in doing that, we, we become wolves ourselves, right? Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you out as wolves among wolves, right? He said, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. You know, I've said this before, but you know how lambs defend themselves when they're attacked by, by wolves? This is all they know how to do. They, they get in a circle and they run around and they just hope that one of their friends gets picked off. That's all that, that's all that lambs do to, to, protect, to protect themselves. Yet for some reason, when we, you know, when we hear about all the attacks and all the, the darkness in the world, we feel as though we need to like snuff it out, right? That, that this is wrong in the world and we have to usher in justice in some way. I remember when I uh, was doing sort of campus tours and I was trying to figure out what college I wanted to go to as a senior in high school, I, I got to come up here to Bowling Green. And I was walking around on campus, and there were some street preachers on campus. And students here know him as Bible Bob. It doesn't matter which street preacher it is. They're all Bible Bob to students for whatever reason. And so they're there, and they're, they're yelling things. And, you know, I, I see from a distance that, that we're going to be walking in their direction. And we get close, and the guy begins to yell at me. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but I just remember, like, I felt attacked by this guy. And, and I don't think that all like street preaching is, is bad or anything like that. I think a lot of people go out with like a really good heart and they share, share truth. But I do think there comes a point where our ministry sort of methodology, the way that we do things, there comes a point where we cease being lambs and we become wolves ourselves. That in an effort to, to go out among the wolves, that, that, we, stop, that we, we, we stop actually following what Jesus has called us to do, Right? Jesus has called us to be lambs among wolves. Jesus is described in the Bible as the Lamb of God, right? That he came and he didn't take over by force, that he went all the way to the cross and was a lamb who was slain on our behalf. This is what the mission of God looks like. And so I wonder if some of you, as you like think about engaging in the mission of God, if, if that's one of the reasons why you haven't gotten involved. Because you think, man, I, I've got to be the type of person that like is just against everything. And so you've been kind of resistant to it. Listen, that is not what it's about. So the second point I want us to see is that the mission of God does not come about by force. It doesn't come about by force. It's gentle and it's lowly. It's like lambs among wolves. But Jesus goes on. He's continuing to give them instructions. In verse five, he says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it'll return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. 
When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. It'd be kind of weird for us to do some of these things, but for them it was pretty normal. Like if you walked into a house and you were like, peace be to this house, probably not going to go very well for you, but for them they're like, okay, this, this sounds great. And so Jesus goes on, but now he kind of turns a corner. He says, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town uh, we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Sodom was known for being a town that was particularly egregious, particularly sinful. And so Jesus starts going off. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, another place that Jesus did miracles in, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay, so this is a really large section, right? Jesus just, just said a lot. And he starts off super positive. He says, when you go out, you know, uh, some people are going to receive you and they're going to want to share what they have for you and make sure that you accept it. And we're all like, yes, that sounds great. I'm all about that. But then he turns a corner and he, he says, I, I want to be real with you though, right? You're going to encounter some rejection on this mission. And he mentions six cities. Three of them were modern cities that Jesus did ministry in. And then the other three were ancient cities that the prophets did, did missions in. And Jesus says, listen, I, I didn't go to all of these cities, but all of these cities rejected God. Why? Because all of these cities rejected the mission, right? That to reject, he says, to reject the mission is to reject Jesus, and to reject Jesus is the same thing as rejecting God. Now, this is pretty interesting, isn't it? Because it almost doesn't seem fair to us right? It's like certain people only got the prophets. They, they didn't get to see the, the ministry of Jesus. And, and Jesus does kind of allude to this reality that, that the final judgment is still going to be just, that God sort of figures things out on the other side. But I think what's interesting is that Jesus is showing us something significant here, and, and it's that there is urgency to us living sent. That just like some of these cities never got the opportunity to, to see the ministry of Jesus, they only got the prophets, that there are some people who only have you. There are, there are people in your life who may never come to church. There are people in your life who, who aren't like open to come into any type of religious gathering, but God has, has put you in their lives. And I think oftentimes we're tempted to write these people off. And I think we're, we're shown here, no, that God has put people in our lives for a reason. You might be the only chance that they have to, to witness the gospel. I was thinking about this a little bit in my own life. And again, uh, when I was a freshman here at BGSU, so I actually uh, chose to come to BGSU after experiencing that, that campus tour. Um, and so I, I came and my freshman year in the dorms, I remember there was a guy who lived on our hall. His name was Tony and he was a little bit rough around the edges. He would like listen to music really loudly and it was music that we were like, there's no way that this guy is going to want to like come to church with us and for those of us that went to H2O. And so to be honest, we kind of kept this guy at a distance a little bit. It wasn't good, but we sort of wrote him off a little bit. We're like, he's just not going to be interested. But eventually something weird happened and he asked us 
if he could start coming to church with us. And so he started coming along, and over time, we began to watch him sort of like open up to conversations about God, and we began to have conversations with him and, and spiritual conversations. Then eventually something really weird happened. Uh, my, my roommate at the time went to take a shower in the, the shower stall in there, and he heard the shower stall next to him. He heard the door open, and it was Tony. And he got in there, and they're both like lathering up. And then all of a sudden, they start talking about God right there in the shower, and they're having this spiritual conversation, probably in a really awkward way, but my roommate's like, okay, like, I guess I'll go with it. And they're having this conversation about God, and right there in the shower, this guy decides to put his, his faith and trust in Jesus and becomes a believer. As they're lathering up, probably washing the shampoo out, like this guy crosses from death to life. He, did, he doesn't need to get baptized. That was his baptism right there. <laughs> it was crazy. We never would have guessed like, like, that it would have happened in that way. And beyond that, we never would have guessed that it would have happened for that guy. But it did, right? And if you're sitting here and you're thinking of, of someone in your mind, like you're thinking of, of that person who you've kind of like wrote off a little bit, I want you to know that, that God has put that person in your life for a reason. That you might be their only chance, wow, uh, you might be their only chance to, to hear about the love of God, that something about the way you live might open them up to things that, that they seem closed off to now. They might see something in you and ask if they can come to church with you. They might ask to have a spiritual conversation and just be ready for it, even if it's at like a really weird time, that, that it happens. And so the third thing I want us to see is that the mission of God is urgent, that, that it's not about our abilities, that it doesn't come about by force, but it is urgent, that there's an urgency to it. And so Jesus has shared all this with us, right? He's sort of shaping our understanding of what missions actually looks like, and he's preparing these people to be sent out. And then he finally does send them out. And Luke doesn't give us a picture of exactly what they experienced when they went, but we do get to see them kind of come back in verse 17. So check this out, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is super epic. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, if you're here and you're sort of new to church and new to the mission of God, maybe right now you're wondering, like, is this where things are going to get weird like, is he going to invite someone to bring up a box of snakes and ask me to, like, grab one and see if I have faith? Could you guys bring forward the, the snakes really quick? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Be calm. It's all right. We're not going to do that. And actually, if, if you really, like, read the context of what's going on here, there's no room for that, that type of interpretation. If, there's a whole sermon in there, but if you, if you get into it, uh, it's interesting how people arrive at these conclusions. But when you really do engage with it, that, that Luke also doesn't, allow his readers to deny the existence of spiritual things either. He doesn't, he doesn't allow us room to deny the existence of, of a real enemy, right? Jesus right here mentions, mentions Satan, and Satan is mentioned 250 times in the New Testament. That's almost once per chapter. So we got to do something about it, right? We got to acknowledge that, that, there, that there are spiritual things going on. And so the disciples come back and they say, hey, even the demons submit to us uh, 
in your name, that, that literally like the, that the darkness that they saw in people as they shared the light of God in their lives, that they saw the darkness uh, diminish and they're pumped about it. And Jesus doesn't say, whoa, that's weird. Don't talk about that, right? He comes back with like the most epic one-liner and one-upper that I've ever heard in my life. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Like what? It's so intense. We have to acknowledge that there are unseen things happening. That as, as we go out and we engage in missions, that it might feel kind of mundane at times, but there are uns, unseen things happening in the mission of God. That, that as we share our faith, that we are literally coming up against the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light and overcoming it. Isn't that epic? Isn't that like, don't you just want to be a part of something like that? It's, it's, it's awesome. But the crazy thing is that Jesus gives us like a little warning, Right? He says, but, but don't make it about just that, right? If you make it about, about just that, about just the spiritual things that, that, that you're doing, then you completely miss the point. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. You see, all of us know that person who kind of makes everything about spiritual warfare, right? The, the type of people who it's like they fail a test and, you know, they're like, dang it, devil was in my head for that test. And you're like, dude, you just got to study. Like, you, you just didn't study. Your car breaks down, you know, and they're like, pray the demons out of the, the engine. The car broke down. It's like, you forgot to put gas in. Like, come on, you know? And people like, like this, I, I think many of them, like, they mean well. They, they, really, they really do mean well, but, but they, they miss the point. And I think C.S. Lewis says it best. We all love C.S. Lewis. And he says this, humanity falls into two equal and opposite errors concerning the devil. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they don't take him seriously enough. And so what do we do, right? Because all of us are sitting here and, and we're told that we were made for the mission of God and, and this is what it is and here's what it looks like and we're getting kind of like excited about it. Jesus says, listen, that, that's fine. I'm not saying like don't get excited about it. But the thing you should be most excited about is that your names are written in the book of life. To be more excited about the gospel than anything else, right? That before you were ever sent on mission to rid anyone of any type of darkness, that God himself came on mission to save you from the darkness. Isn't that amazing? That all of us in here are on the same boat, even if you've been doing missions for a really long time, that Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same sinking boat, but God throws us a life raft, right? Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so through faith, we hop in that lifeboat, right? And now there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. Isn't this good news? It's not because you're a great missionary. It's not because of all the works that you've done. It's because of the work that Jesus has done for you on your behalf. And listen, before we're called to, to a someplace, before we're called to a something, first we're called to a someone, and that someone is Jesus, right? And he's been on mission for your heart for, for this whole time that Jesus is, is after your heart, that, that he loves you in spite of, of everything, all, all the sin that, that, that has been in your life, that Jesus is still pursuing your heart. And I think sometimes we forget the beauty of that, right? We make it all about what can I do for God? And we forget about all that God has done for us, right? We gotta remember the gospel. See, we were made for mission 
but we were made for a mission because we were made to be with a missional God. And so here's how I want to wrap things up. I just want to just invite us during this last time of worship just to, to sing. Like, let's just make a whole lot of our God, Jesus. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's remember what he's done on our behalf. And beyond that, we're going to just spend some time during the two songs just remembering what he's done for us in communion. That if you're someone who's here and you would acknowledge that, yes, you know, Jesus has has come on mission and he saved me from my sin and I'm trusting him, I'm jumping in the lifeboat, then I invite you to, to just make your way to the back at some point to grab the cup and to just remember how good that reality is. See, I think when we really just sit with how good God has been to us, that we can't help but want to give that away. And that's our hope for us with this series. That's our hope for us as we send you out of here, um, just that we would remember and rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. So let me pray for you and worship the Lord. Oh God, we are just incredibly humbled, Lord, that you would invite us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we praise you that that you're not a God who uh, just sits idly in heaven and sees everything um, that's broken and and, and just stays far away, but you're a God who who gets involved. Lord, that the Father sends the Son and the Son sends the Spirit, that you are a missional God. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you that, that you came after us. Lord, that you're interested in us in spite of all that we've done, in spite of the mistakes that we've made. Lord, that you that you still saw us and you said, that's my kid. That that, that child is, is worth pursuing. That I will leave the comforts of heaven to go and, and pursue them. Lord, we are we are incredibly grateful for that. Lord, I, I pray that we could just sit here a little bit and just feel the grace that you've shown us all. Just feel the love that you have for us and and may that just compel us outward to share it with a world that, that just needs it so much. So Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.